0: We're going to turn to the Bible and continue our series, looking at the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. And in a moment, Judy uh, will be coming to speak to us from this. But we're going to turn to Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 49, and the words will come up on the screen. And this is the account of Jesus being crucified. As the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. And then they'll say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For as people do these things when the tree's green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men. Both criminals were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots, The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn into. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, He breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who'd followed from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray. Lord, as Judy comes now, would you speak through her? As we listen, Lord, would we hear the very words of God? Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. As Tim said, my name's Judy and I'm part of the leadership team here and uh, it's great to have you with us, especially if you're visiting us. Um, I don't know how you're feeling this morning, post-Eurovision. How are we? We did all right, didn't we? Our girl did us proud, I think, considering we're not very well loved uh, internationally at the moment, um, with a lovely song about hanging on, which felt quite metaphorical, didn't it, in terms of uh, our role within Europe. But it it was a good night. I did not stay in and watch it, tempting though that might be. Um, I went out to a gig, uh, an indie gig, um, uh, which my lovely goddaughter, Jessie, yes, some of you are gasping, but it is true. Um, And uh, my goddaughter, Jessie, who uh, was performing on the Ulster Road, in just a really normal house front, uh, sort of Ulster Road South, I've walked past it many, many times and had no idea what was going on. And it literally is a tree house where musicians go and perform in the tree house, which suited Jessie if you know her at all. (laughs) She thought she was in heaven. Um, Just singing in this tree house with loads of random musicians (laughs) from across Birmingham, fairy lights. It was just walking in to a complete different world and then out again and and as you left you almost thought did I dream that or did that really happen there was a bit of a haze of pot smoke as well, so maybe that added to it but there was a a real sense of um, the surreal really and the fact that I have walked past it driven past it so many times and would never have known the kind of delight of that place because it was absolutely incredible and the musicians were amazing And there is something about when we return to a passage that for some might feel quite well known, maybe for you it isn't. When we look at the Gospel of Luke and we look at this account, we can look at it with fresh eyes every time we come to it because the Bible is not just a book of words, it is a book that reads us. It is the living word of God. Now that might sound strange if you've not heard that before. Uh, it can sound just like a text, a part of history, and it is, but it's so much more than that. Uh, one of my favorite comedians is Michael McIntyre. absolutely love him. I love his physicality. I love his humor, his observational humor. One of my favorite things he was talking about reading Recently, was being a parent with young children, and all the lengths that you will go to to keep them occupied for just moments, so that you can have a bit of peace and quiet. And his favourite thing is just showing his kids pictures of Where's Wally, and uh, trying to get them to, to find Wally, the little character in the stripy top. However, his kids are getting very quick and very good at it, so much so that he's gone to the drastic measures of colouring Wally in, so that they take far longer. And he puts it that he and his wife can have time that uh, to get their life lives back and find time back together. uh, uh, I think he puts it, we can go back to a life we once knew. Uh, But whether we're looking at where's Wally, whether we're walking into a completely different world from a different facade, when we walk into this passage, there are some new truths, I believe, for us to look at. And particularly in the account of Luke, which is quite unique uh, in the Gospels, uh, just comparing each one with their own personality, I guess, with their own slant on it, will tell an account that is true, I believe, but also has different things for us to pick up on. Um, So we've been doing this series, The End from the Beginning, and if you've been with us, we've been looking at the fact that in the approach to Jesus' death, he's been accused, he's been betrayed, he's stood trial, and now he faces his death. And uh, there are a few ends from the beginning that we find actually in the passage, the end for one thief, the beginning for the other, and we'll unpack that a little bit later, the end of the barrier, the curtain, and the beginning of intimacy, the beginning of closeness with God, the end of the darkness and the beginning of light, and the end of our sin and the beginning of purity. And as we move through Luke uh, and and future weeks, we're going to look to Acts and see how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything in the course of history. Right at the beginning of the passage, Jesus says something that's uh, a little bit less quoted than others, probably because it's quite hard for us to, to, to really see the good in. But he talks about really all that is coming on the world and he talks to women particularly. He's got a group following him and Luke is really, really active in promoting women in his gospel and he says there's a group following him and there are women that are part of it and he addresses the women but he also says right at the end if you see at the bottom of the slide there for if men do these things when the tree is green what will happen when it is dry? And what he's meaning by that, historically, revolutionaries would be pinned to wood. And the drier the wood, the kind of worse you were in terms of a revolutionary, a kind of warlord, if you like, would be put onto dry wood. But he says, if you do this when the wood is green, and what he's saying there is, I am the Prince of Peace. That's one of my names. And if you would do this to die the most brutal death to me when I came in peace, I come as reconciliation, I come as restorer, and yet you would treat me like this. He says, what are you gonna do when the warlords do come, when the dry does come? And when we look at our world, isn't that interesting that actually Jesus died, and he was the green word, he was the message of peace, he still is, he's the message of love and reconciliation as we'll go on to hear in this passage. But he says, why would you do this to me? He's absolutely confident that he comes in peace. And then if you look further down, we hear the only account of the conversation between two thieves, that we have two thieves and Jesus who is innocent in the middle. One of the emphasis of Luke is the innocence of Christ. Every one of the Synoptic Gospels has an emphasis, but Luke specifically wants us to know that he was totally pure and innocent. And that's kind of laced through the the passage a little bit. And we have these two criminals and we have an overheard conversation between the two of them. They begin the same, they begin both taunting. They begin actually mocking Jesus and he's surrounded by people mocking him. He's got a sign over his head saying, here is the king of the Jews. He's got somebody bringing him sour wine as a mockery of how a king would have been treated. Everything is being mocked as he's ready to to die. And then these two criminals either side of him. And Max Licardo, I think, really highlights this brilliantly. He says, convicted by the same system, condemned to the same death, surrounded by the same crowd, equally close to the same Jesus, beginning with the same sarcasm, but only one changed. One good choice for eternity offsets a thousand bad ones on the earth. Now that last sentence can do one or two things in us, one of two things. We can either think that's outrageous, (laughs) and there's probably a bit of us that does, how come in his dying breath Jesus is going to let him off when he's done all this and he is truly guilty, he points out we are both guilty here there's no doubt that he knows that he and the other guy deserve to die and actually there's equal shame here but one really really confesses that he needs salvation, that he needs rescue that he needs forgiveness and forgiveness is outrageous outrageous Sometimes when we look at, you know, somebody on death row who's murdered, who's gang raped, who's done some horrific things, and we hear that they cried out in confession to Christ in their last breath, we may rejoice, but a part of us might say, is it fair? Is that fair? Do they just get off with all that? Does that make sense? There's a response in us. But when we start with the fact that we are the thief on the cross, that we are the one that deserves only death, that we have done things in in private maybe, things that maybe even people don't know about, maybe even this week that we know lead us to shame. And yet, Jesus says, if we say, remember me, forgive me, as this guy does, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And the word paradise which interested me I didn't know this before comes a Persian word meaning walled garden which is beautiful when a Persian king wanted to bestow a particular honor on one of his subjects he would walk in the garden with him and when he says Jesus is promising the thief more than immortality he's promising him companionship in the courts of heaven and just reading that this week, it made me think, you know, he's not just saying you've made it in <laughs> to heaven. He's saying, oh, I will walk with you. I will fellowship with you, just because you have recognized that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God, and that I'm dying for you. And we have these two responses. And I wonder, as we maybe examine our own hearts, where we sit today with that? Where do we feel that we are? because both men are guilty. But he he talks about the fact that actually, we can think there are good guys and there are bad guys. There are good guys and bad guys. And we can think, are we on one side of the cross or are we on the other? But we are all the bad guys. There's no sort of good and bad guys here in the sense that we are all the one that deserved the suffering, that deserved the pain. And yet, in Jesus's death, we see this forgiveness. And Jesus cries out, Father forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Father forgive them. Now that's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful thing for him to call out, particularly when he's in so much pain. But what is interesting is that actually traditionally a martyr would have called out in his dying breath a curse on the persecutors. That's what was traditional. That's what would have been expected. Now, here's a guy who doesn't even deserve this in any shape or form, who Luke's saying is perfect. And actually, he cries out, not a curse, but actually the very antithesis of that. He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And in our weakness, in our frailty, as we look again at the death of Jesus, he would say that to you today whatever you feel you're guilty of, wherever your shame lies, and we all have it, that he would say, Father, forgive. That as we come to communion a little bit later on, that he would say that to each of us. That we haven't known what we've done sometimes. There have been sins that we've knowingly committed and there'll be ones that we don't know about. And then as Jesus dies, an incredible thing happens, a supernatural event happens, that as he dies, for three hours, the sky turns black. There is an eclipse of light and a darkness that spreads over the whole land for three hours. And again, the symbolism of scripture comes across for us here, that for three hours, we're under judgment. Darkness in the Bible symbolizes judgment. And judgment, if you like, is over all the earth. It's not just in that town. It's everywhere across the earth we hear, all over the earth for three hours. And then we know, if we uh, have a spoiler alert, that actually as we move forwards, that there's the glorious light of the resurrection to come, the end from the beginning, the darkness to be followed by the light. But for those three hours, there is darkness across the earth. And I was reading in the book of Amos, this is actually prophesied. Uh, there are hundreds, over a 100 prophecies in the Old Testament that are lived out in the death of Jesus, in Isaiah, in Amos, loads and loads of specifics about how the saviour will die but this one I think is particularly interesting talks about the sun going down it's probably clear on this side in that day declares the sovereign lord I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping I will make you, all of you, wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day." And so this was predicted back in the Old Testament that actually when the Savior of the world came and died, the sky would go black. So you imagine if you know your scriptures, and they would have done, and you kill this guy, and this happens, what are you going to think? What are you going to think? He said he's the son of God. You've thought he's got that wrong. He's made that up, and then you kill him, and this happens. The whole place goes dark. The fear in people must have been huge. We have got this wrong. You know, they—they must have felt incredible fear when this happened because it had been predicted in Scripture that it would when the saviour of the 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 world died. And as Jesus dies, the curtain in the temple, which I'm reliably informed, was um, 60 foot in height and 40 in width. Now, that's old money, so some of you are thinking, I don't know what that is. But I'm, I'm five foot, towering five foot. Uh, so if you kind of get a bit of a measure of it, it is a big curtain. It is a big, big, massive deal that rips in half when Jesus dies. And not only that, as we know, if if we know a little bit about it, that was the Holy of Holies. That was the curtain that kept us out of the Holy of Holies, that only the high priest, he's the only guy that was allowed in. And suddenly that's ripped into, if you'd gone in by accident or by intention, you'd have died. You'd have been killed for it. And in the Old Testament, God says to Moses, you cannot see me and live. And yet as Jesus dies, we get this incredible access to the presence of God, to the intimacy with Jesus. I was sharing in first service that I'm not sure that we always get this with our welcome, with our inclusion, that actually maybe some of us put the curtain back again because of old fashioned guilt or maybe we were brought up that way, that we never quite think that our, maybe our sins are worse than everybody else's, maybe we'll put the curtain back again. And I felt as I was praying for us that that may be true for some people here, that we know the curtain is ripped in two. We know that we can freely come and be in God's presence and confess our sins. And even as we take communion, but shame can make us put the curtain back again. And if that's you today, that happened for you and Jesus doesn't see your sin anymore if you confess it to him. It's, it's beneath the sea, as Corrie Ten Boom put it. Uh, I had a bad experience once um, as a, a drama judge for a competition for the International Drama Student of the Year, quite big billing, and I was invited to Wales to go along to it. And um, Because it was one of my first formal jobs within Salt Mine that wasn't loading vans and uh, doing wearing mad costumes, I bought a suit. It was the only one I ever really owned. It was from Next, and it was a trouser suit and I was quite proud of it, I thought it made me look quite formal, even got a little sort of briefcase thing to take along and I thought, ah, they're going to take me seriously, I'm going along as one of the international uh, student judges and I arrived there and um, waited to be welcomed by the others. A uh, lady finally did come up to me, looked me up and down and just said, ah, uh, just stay there please and then off she went. And there was a huddle then that formed while I just stood there thinking I don't know the criteria for this. We seem to be starting in 20 minutes. It would be good for someone to talk through what we're doing here. Never done anything like it really before. Um, So I was standing there very nervous and then the huddle sort of got together and they were whispering and looking over at me and then whispering again. And I thought I have clearly offended them and I've literally just said hello. Um, (laughs) So that's quite a feat even by my standards. So I've walked in and I've caused offence. So I thought well I don't know what to do. So as time went on I just went over and I said I'd just like to say I'm one of the new judges and I I really don't know what criteria you know I've got the list here but it'd be useful for someone just to talk it through with me because I'm new to this thank you and I said there's not a problem is there and they said oh yes there is actually Um, and I said it's not me is it jokingly and they said oh yes it is (laughs) and so I said oh okay and it was the fact that I was wearing trousers And as a woman judge wearing trousers, they they had a real dilemma whether I could appear at all. So they got a drape, and this is <laughs> And a black drape was put across the front of the trestle table that we sat behind to cover my shame, and we sat there, the male judges and myself, with this drape for the entire day, even to the point where I couldn't go across for my lunch because I'd cause offence, so I had to be brought to my lunch while one of the guys took pity <laughs> on me and sat with me because I couldn't walk away from the cover. Um, and it was just crazy. Now, there are two things from that for me. One, I did write an email to say that I wouldn't accept any money for, for doing that particular job because I did feel that the welcome I'd been given had not been the gospel that I certainly would believe in. Um, and I would felt ashamed of something that I had not you know, knowingly caused any offence with. Um, but the other thing is that actually we can unknowingly get caught up in religion that has nothing to do with the fact of this curtain that is torn in two that says, all are welcome, that says to a thief, come to paradise. Don't just make it in, but come and walk in the walled garden with your saviour. And surely we miss the point if faith is about legalism and exclusion and judgment. And actually in this beautiful story of Jesus, we have his total innocence that makes us know real shame and real guilt. And yet deep forgiveness because of his death. And in Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says this, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because of the blood of Jesus' death. We enter a new and living way that Jesus opened for us. It leads through the curtain, Christ's body, that as his body is torn, so the curtain is torn and that actually as Jesus, as we take communion now together, that we recognize that just as Jesus went through excruciating agony and death for us, he made a way for us. He made a way for us for a new and living life, for an abundant life, and for a life that doesn't wrestle all the time with condemnation. And I just say again to you, I know this because I've lived with it that for quite some time as a new Christian, I once (laughs) confessed to another Christian, I said, oh, you know when you get that thing where God's just convicting you over and over and over and over (laughs) of all the bad stuff that you've done? And she said, no, that sounds more like condemnation than conviction, Judy. And there is a difference. Condemnation says, here's your sin and that's what I'm calling you by it. You know, I call you a liar, I call you an adulterer, whatever it is, but actually the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, I did that wrong, I offended you, I love you, Lord, I am forgiven because of this death. It says, because of you, not because of my might, but because of this power to forgive that Jesus has. And as Jesus dies, he says this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Again, that was a Jewish prayer. It was a Jewish prayer that a mother would have said over her child, that as her baby went off to sleep, she would have said this, I commit you to the spirit of God. So he uses a well-known prayer again, almost in his final cry, to say, I'm safe in the father's hands. Like a baby in the arms of its mother, I commit my spirit. And that's a poignant moment for me you know, to think that actually in all of his pain, Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm like a child in your arms, God, and I trust you. And as we heard brilliantly on Good Friday here in this place, the soldier stands back and says, surely this was a righteous man who we thought was a con artist, who we thought was leading us all, who thought was Deadwood, was Greenwood, who we thought actually was an imposter, somebody who was stirring up a rebellion, was actually the most radical, holy revolutionary, a saviour, a radical saviour, that died for each one of us. Let's just be quiet together as we prepare for communion. I'd like to read just a short poem um, that will help us respond, I hope, to what we've heard. So this was the cost, the price you paid for me, to be with me, to save me. You laid down here for me, you hung here for me, died here for me. You laid down here for me as they laughed at you and said, who's hitting you? You laid down here for me as they nailed you, impaled you. You laid here as nails cut you, pierced you, raped you. You laid down here for me. You hung here for me as they mocked you. Jew, king, here's your crown, so come on down, be king. You hung here for me as your breath wouldn't come and the blood wouldn't stop. And nails or no nails, you still are God. And you could have come down and made the pain stop and made the laugh stop, but you hung here for me. You died here for me as you said it is finished, and now there is nothing left but the horror of this place, and I want to turn away, to walk away, to run away, to just forget without regret all the horror of this place, all the blood on your face, and the pain of the nails and the hole in your side, but I can't turn away because I need to be saved. And if this is what it takes for me to know you, to be with you, to find you, if this is what it takes for you to save me, then I can't look away because I need you to save. This soul that cries out for you, dies for you, reaches for you. If this is what it takes, then all I can say is crucify, crucify, crucify because I need to be saved and I cannot pay the cost.